Take your Vulcan cynicism and bury it with your repressed emotions. Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And I'm your guest host, Mark Scholl. In today's episode, we'll talk about encouraging girls to become leaders. We'll give you five reasons Star Trek Enterprise sucks or succeeds. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. It's no secret we consider words to be pretty powerful things here at Game On Girl. We talk about how easy it is to offend or hurt someone with your words, how the things we say to each other in-game and otherwise matter, and how calling someone out for bad behavior is a really important act. Well, recently a new campaign was launched with a focus on young girls and leadership. The movement is called Ban Bossy and is backed by some pretty powerful names like Condoleezza Rice, Jennifer Garner, Jane Lynch, and Beyonce, as well as groups like the Girl Scouts and corporations like Always and Lifetime TV. The idea is to stop using the word bossy to describe girls interested in leadership roles, a burden many of us might find familiar. I know I certainly do. So what do you guys think about this movement? Is bossy really such a big deal? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I really hadn't thought about it until you sent me the link. Mm -hmm. And um, even when I looked at the site the very first time, a lot of times my first reactions are, okay, are, are we just trying to find something to make a cause for? Mm. And then I went out and started reading the um, leadership tips that they've got, discussion tips that they have, some of the different um, celebrity videos that they had talking about some different things. And then I started thinking back. Mm, yeah, that's always the dangerous part right there. Yeah. When you and start remembering and thinking about how it impacts your life, because that's what happened for me as well. So Yeah, and it's it's really subtle, and everybody reacts to it differently um, I, as far as, you know, either gender, if they're put down about pursuing leadership. But specifically for women, um, yeah, I mean, they either, they either cower from that and say, oh, you know, I've stepped out of line. Or they actually get more aggressive, right? which is what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a specific incident that you're thinking of? Or is this just sort of a trend you've seen kind of going on in your life? Oh, it's definitely a trend. Okay. I mean, just don't tell me I can't do it. <laughs> and, oh, you've said that before on the show. <laughs> yeah, and the um, especially getting pushed out of something or let left to be to on the side. I I am very a very logical person. I, I operate in a especially in a business sense, um, mm -hmm. very much like a Vulcan. I'm there for the job. I know the parameters of the job, and I'm there to do a professional job. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with my personal life or gender or any other demographics that are going on. I'm there to, to get the job done. So a lot of times that approach from me is it, it's seen as aggressive. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, the, the response I get. It's, it's that sort of a step backwards, a kind of grimace on the face, and it's like, oh, man, Rhonda's kind of hard, you know, <laughs> kind of tough. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, you know, I, I'm just, I'm getting the job done. I don't understand why I'm being seen that way. And then a logical man who comes in and say, okay, here it is, black and white. You just kind of pause and listen. Mm -hmm. I think the, the as an adult, I don't, I, I don't remember a whole lot, a whole lot as a kid, but the only adult situation I remember one time is um, I was on a committee and I was the only woman on the committee. And I was very excited to have been selected because of the situation, because they were mm -hmm. all men. And we were needing to do a presentation. And so I was talking to one of the leaders in the group about doing the, the presentation. And he's like, you know, we just, we don't want any Mickey Mouse work. We want something mm. that's really professional. Mm -hmm. And that's never left me. Yeah. It's like, he's never even seen my work. There's nothing about me whatsoever. No grounds to determine whether or not that, you know. To make I that operate. kind of judgment about yeah. who you are, your behavior, your work you ethic. Know, that's right. You know, I was going to make it out of construction paper, macaroni, and paste, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, that, that never left me. I, I had that. a similar incident like that when I was on a hiring committee 
during my first job out of college and uh, the dean I was working for was a you know office assistant at a community college and the dean had me go through the diversity training for the hiring committees because he wanted me to be you had to have somebody who had the diversity training on on each hiring committee so he wanted me to fill that spot which was fine. So I had gone through the training and I was on my first committee. And mind you, at that point, I think I was 23, 22 or 23. And we were hiring, I forget what it was, an assistant uh, for um, the, the equipment in the gym. So somebody who was going to be, you know, helping out with like managing basketballs and, you know, whatever, all the other things that they do in gyms, <laughs> colleges, <laughs> completely foreign land for me. Um, and so I'm on this committee and here I am I'm supposed to be the person who's keeping everybody like to the laws essentially associated with hiring. And um, we're going through and we're considering the things when we come down to our last two people, then we're, we're debating back and forth between them. And then we pick, you know, the person who is going to be hired. And one of the other committee members who was, a you know, sorry, blowhard, you know, older male goes and he's like, well, I know this guy personally and I know he's going to be perfect for the job. And I turned to him and I'm like, you cannot say that. You cannot say that. That's that's completely goes against every ethical consideration this committee is supposed to, to supposed to make. And I should stand here and call us out and have us rehire this whole position because you just made that comment. Hmm. And then he's like, oh, it's OK, little girl. You know, I'm just giving my opinion. It's all right. And my dean wouldn't let me go forward with, you know, redoing the committee. But I was at that point like, you can't say that. And I know I was yeah. dismissed because, you know. They didn't really care about the diversity laws, for one. And two, because I was the woman and the diversity rep on the committee. So, What do you mean dismissed? They, they, they didn't take seriously what I was saying, how okay. serious his comment was. I'm like, this is, this is a rule breaker. This is, you know, this, yeah. is, this goes against everything that you're supposed to be doing in a hiring committee. And you can't say, oh, I know him personally. I know him outside of this. and I know he's going to be great. You can't say that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you just can't say things like that. And that goes against the ethics of committee hiring. That's why there's, you know, four or five of us trying to hire this position. Right. And both the dean and the, the guy who made the comment were like, no, it's okay. I'm just, you know, I'm just giving my opinion. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm gonna, like, yeah. I never forgot it. Because that was one of the first times I was like, okay, I have this authority that's been given to me, but it doesn't count because I'm a young woman. Mark, what do you, what's your experience in the workplace with uh, female managers? Um, it's a good question because I've actually pretty much had um, female managers the good majority of my working life. Um, for the most part, I like working with uh, women as managers, and they don't come across to me as bossy at all. Um, the only real negative thing I could ever um, think of that ever happened was uh, when I was working in a call center, a friend of mine was kind of in an assistant manager position and um, all the other managers were women um, and the manager above the department itself was uh, a woman and he went to them with some concerns and some ideas one time and they basically kind of, you know, you know, laughed him out or, you know, talked him down or whatever. And, um, you know, he was really upset by that because basically it was a complete reversal of everything, you know, that, you know, women have ever talked about. Mm -hmm. he, you know, it, instead of a, a good old boys club, it was the good old girls, girls club. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So, I mean, it can happen both ways. Um, mm -hmm. As far as this bossy movement, as far as, you know, band bossy, I'm fine with that. And, and mm -hmm. I'm fine with that on the level of, not just for girls, but for for boys. I mean, you know, it, it, to me, a bossy person is a bossy person, but that's that's not exactly the same thing as a as a leader. Right. Um, and you know, I think that women and men can lead equally well, and I don't think that uh, little girls and um, you know, teenage um, women should be turned away from leadership positions because I think that women can make incredible leaders. Yeah, it's a it's a very delicate conversation because like I said, you know, I didn't immediately go, "Oh, yeah, that's right. That's that's <laughs> what happened." But when I went through and I looked at the types of situations that they were talking about and I remembered the subtleties of the things that are going on, that, that this is the point at which I I provide cautionary information because just because someone is assertive doesn't make them bossy. Mm -hmm. But yeah. someone who is bossy, uh, a woman, 
if she is bossy, it should not then be a negative thing to tell her <laughs> that. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're crushing my spirit. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, and there's a difference between between that definition of bossy and a dismissal of leadership, yeah. you know, be- behaviors before it gets to that. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I agree with yeah. that. I'm just saying yeah. that you just you want to be careful and not make any blanket statements right. about, OK, now you cannot ever tell a woman that she's bossy. Right. Um, I think in the formative years that we're talking about is where it's the absolute most important. Mm-hmm. Later on in life, I think if, if, if you've not been raised in, on a, a level playing field mm-hmm. and you're like me, you, you don't recognize the things that are happening. One of the, one of the suggestions that were mentioned on the website, and I suddenly got to thinking, you know, the, whenever it comes in, whether it's um, your religious organizations or uh, work or any type of committee or anything like that, it's like, okay, so who's going to be part of the planning committee? Who's going to be part of the hosting committee? They always look at the women. Mm-hmm. Who's going to take care of the nursery? They look at the women. And I just got to thinking back at all the different businesses I've worked at, and the women were the ones automatically automatically put in charge of those things, and the men just stood back holding a cup of coffee, n- not even thinking that they, you know, should Needed to or contribute, could contribute or right, yeah, should should be helping out or anything like I mean, that. that I remember going to, uh, it was part of a, a volunteer situation. I, I wanted to go in. I was like, okay, how can I volunteer and help? They said, well, they need help in the nursery. Mm-hmm. It's like, I like, um, I don't want to hold babies. I really don't. <laughs> um, I'm a computer programmer, graphic designer. I'm a professional. I've never had kids. So, you know, why do you want to give me your baby? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, or suggested. I mean, he, he kind of just shrugged his shoulders. And he's like, well, you know, they need help in the nursery. <laughs> okay. Well, that was so the you... only the only place to send you. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, that was the only thing. The only thing for his, you know, scope of the world. That was that was all. This there is one I wanted to ask you about too. It was very interesting. One of the other things I didn't think about was um, they mentioned getting interrupted a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did that ring any bells with you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and I watch it in my classes too. I'm I, I try to be very diligent when I'm teaching in person that my girls the my girls that the women in my classes don't get interrupted. Um, I actually had a complete and utter meltdown in grad school over. <laughs> this incident over, over being interrupted. Yeah, I, I, we had been in um, our, our theory class, and it was the second year of my graduate program, my PhD program. And um, the first year, had there had been a lot of tension and a lot of split groups and a lot of just, it just, things were bad um, uh, morale-wise. We didn't ever really come together as a cohort, as a group of uh, people sort of working together. Everybody kind of uh, factionalized. So there were, you know, different groups of people. And, and we were not getting along with each other. <laughs> and um, we went into this theory class that was led by, it was, t- it was taught by the director of our program. And we had been like maybe two or three classes into it. And I said to him, you know, you need to have a discussion with this class about ground rules for how to have a discussion and how to talk to each other because we're not communicating um, yeah. as uh, as graduate students, we're not having the kinds of discussions we need to be having. And typical white male privilege, he looked at me and, you know, kind of cocked his head to the side. And he said, I think we're doing fine. You know, we don't really need to consider that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, I said this. And it was early in the class when I said this. And then a couple more weeks go by, and I am constantly and uh, interrupted by the men of the class, like constantly cut off, um, and I lost it because um, one of my classmates referred to Hil- Hillary Clinton, who was running for president at the time, as Bill's wife. Mm-hmm. And I lost it. I mean, I don't lose it very often. But when I get really angry, I, I, it was our week. We're talking about feminist theory. And he's calling, you know, a woman who's running for the most powerful, you know, political office in the country by her husband's name. Really? Seriously? And I just and I, I I completely went off on him and I just like my head came unscrewed and the the you know 
steam started coming out of my ears and fire out of my nostrils. And I just went off and I'm like, how can you sit in this classroom where we're reading about feminist literature, where you can see the, the piece we were reading was talked about how women are defined in their roles in relation to men. Mm. And you just called Hillary Clinton Bill's wife. You know, how can you do this? And he cut me off halfway through my my tirade and just started talking right on over me. And one of my classmates, another female classmate, he's like, would you please let her finish? <laughs> just please, <laughs> you please let her finish. <laughs> and, you know, and the class just pitched from there, like it just crashed wow. down. And it was silent. It was hard to get anybody talking. And another student was like, I'm feeling a really weird vibe here. And uh, at the end of the class, I turned to my professor and I said, you know how I said we needed to have a, a discussion about ground rules for how to talk to each other? And he's like, yeah, I said, it's overdue. And <laughs> walked out of the classroom. And um, the next class, he actually had us sit down and talk about how we were going to talk to each other and keep hmm. things on track better. Um, but it took getting to that point where not only did I melt down and I was picking up on how, you know, destructive the conversation was going, but that the, my other classmates were noticing it too. So, yeah, yeah, all well, from a series of being interrupted. So, yeah, I, I guess I noticed that I have to, um, I really have to force this, not just verbally, but sometimes almost physically, just as far as just leaning into the conversation, mm -hmm. um, to be able to continue and, and not be interrupted, if there, especially if there's a large group and it's hard to get to interject. And I notice I keep getting interrupted, then I actually have to begin to assert all aspects of the senses to try to get in, to stay in the conversation. Right, right. Where you constantly have to keep pushing, pushing yeah. yourself in there. Yeah. If not, I also know when I'm fighting a losing battle and when the battle's not worth fighting for. It's sure. like, okay, you know, the, the, the group's going to make the decision they're going to make. It doesn't affect me. I don't care. Whatever. You know, just do what you're going to yeah. do. Well, and yeah, that was the hard thing with that class situation. Mm -hmm. I felt like my education was being compromised because yeah. nobody would address what was going on in the classroom. And like I said, there ha there were harbored a lot of harbored bad feelings and a lot of people who felt out of place. And I wasn't the only woman who felt that way. You know, I had three, you know, three more people come up to me after class that day who were like, I feel exactly like you do. So I'm like, if this is affecting and more than half the class were women and the teacher was male and he privileged the male, you know, perspectives and was completely unaware of what he was doing. And um, yeah, God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think that there's also some trouble with this, um, and we've we touched on this back in the first year when we were podcasting. Is is also women doing this to each other? Oh yes, that too. Um, and the, the website brought this up too, as far as not having really good mentors. Mm -hmm. And I noticed this um, really evidently in the workplace mm -hmm. that once a woman gets to a certain level in management. Um, or even gets a management position, um, she doesn't take on any female mentors. She doesn't sit down and talk to them about how she got there, how to maintain the um, the position as a professional, and to break either glass ceilings or just to um, always make your ground level. It's usually a competition. Mm -hmm. It's 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 keeping the other people in place. Right. It's the same um, thing that, you know, Je when we talk to Jenny Hanneber and she talks about the competition between women gamers, yeah, she's like, you know, exactly. it's, it's a Highlander principle. There can be only one. The queen bee. Yes, exactly. You yeah. Know, there's only one queen bee. So there's, you know, there's once you get to a certain level, and I think this is true for a lot of women who work in corporate situations, once you get to a certain level, you are threatened by the other women who are around you. Yeah. I don't well, think Mark, it's great. What about <laughs> um, mentoring situations in the workplace for men? Do um, they? Does that even exist? I think it does. Um, I mean, <laughs> I can't really think of any. Well, I, I, I did have a guy who, um, one of my managers who mentored uh, me and a friend of mine and got us into a better position at our job, you know, by, you know, saying, hey, you guys should take this chance. This is, this would be a good opportunity for you and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I, yeah, I think um, men uh, mentor one another. Um, and I think good male managers mentor women too. I don't, you know, I don't think there's, in my world, there's no reason 
not to mentor somebody that has, you know, raw potential talent to, to yeah. succeed something, regardless of their sex or their color yeah. or anything. Absolutely. Um, well, Regina, was there anything else that you wanted to uh, mention about the band bossy side? Uh, no, I just, I, I, I love the videos and I love, like you said, the tips and all the things that they have on it. It's a really very comprehensive um, campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I, t- I tend to be very leery of campaigns that are backed by corporations. Um, like when Dove started their real beauty campaign, I was like, oh, okay, what's the, what's really going on here? Um, but I've been really impressed by what Dove has created. And I think Ban Bossy is falling in that same sort of category of, um, uh, conscientious stewardship. Yeah, exactly. Where, oh yeah, stewardship is a great word. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. I'm glad somebody has working for my brain today. Um, <laughs> Uh, that, that kind of, you know, leadership and showing how we really can make a difference. It's, you know, it's one word bossy, but it has a lot more sort of associated with it. So, well, we encourage everybody to check out those leadership tips on the band bossy site, bandbossy.com. They can help you see ways you might be holding yourself back or a way that you can mentor other women. Well, Regina got me started watching Star Trek Enterprise, which I practically knew nothing about. I'm not even sure I knew that the that spinoff existed. Um, but it came out around 2001 and ran for four seasons. Uh, it has a, a pretty, well, actually, the cast is pretty unwell-known, <laughs> <laughs> except for Scott Bakula. Um, Scott Bakula plays Captain Jonathan Archer. It's the 22nd century. It's the dawn the United Federation of Planets. It's a hundred years before the adventures of Captain Kirk and his crew even start. Uh, Jonathan Archer is the captain of the Star Trek Enterprise NX-01, and they begin their journey where no one, at least human, has gone before. Now, Regina and Mark, are you both familiar with uh, the series? Like, I was totally unfamiliar. Uh, I was. I mean, first off, my mother's a huge science fiction fan, so basically oh. anytime one of those things comes up, she tends to give me a heads up that it's coming. Um, and I remember seeing the spots for it and such, and I never really got into it. I think uh, um, my initial response was, oh, here we go with Star Trek again. Not to say <laughs> I don't love Star Trek and some of its incarnations, but I think sometimes uh, they're beating a dead horse. Mm. Yeah, I remember thinking that when it came out, too. My first thought when it came out was, oh, no, another bad Star Trek spinoff. And uh. I, I just kind of assumed that it was going to be not great um, just from the get-go. And I didn't watch it back then. I only started watching it, you know, a couple of months ago. Um, so. Well, that even that even brings up another really good question because the original Star Trek was – not not great no no (laughs) that's that's a very nice way to say it (laughs) so but still be loved loved. yeah but what's the difference oh you know i i i don't i don't know um part of it is the, the cold status of the original series um because it was amongst the first sort of serious science fiction shows on tv um it also has you know so many designations as the first time any, you know, insert this happened on TV, um, happened on the original Star Trek series. So um, it's it's got a lot of that that's sort of going for it. My, my personal feeling about the original series um, was that a lot of the stories were were politically minded, but, but in metaphor. So, so there's, there's metaphors for lots of different things that were happening at the time going on in Star Trek, the original series. And that's a, that's a great thing. I mean, that's what science fiction and what sort of true literature really should be a a metaphor for the conflicts of the time. Um, And so it, it has that. And if you look at it with that lens on, you can kind of overlook some of the really bad acting and, (laughs) Honestly, some of the really bad writing, because some of it is really just atrocious. Some of it is transcendent. Some of the episodes really do kind of go beyond what even a lot of, you know, sci-fi is supposed to do or what, you know, kind of sci-fi is about. But it, there are some episodes where it's like the one in the third se- third season with the, the guys who hate each other, who had the black and white faces. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. awesome. That, you know, that's like, that's like one of the worst episodes. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I can stand back and I can I can appreciate it because I know what it was trying to say, but it was trying so hard to say yes. it. Yes. That, yes, exactly. That you just, you know, it's like, let me beat you over the head with this, you know, axe and you'll get the point kind of thing. So, you know, it's 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 got all that kind of muck going on. And I, I think. What do you think, Mark? What's the difference? What's the difference? Um... Between bad and bad. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about the difference between Enterprise and Star Trek, I think um, only time, <laughs> really. Oh, that's a good. It had it, it basically, you know, Enterprise comes, you know, at the end of the run of all the TV series, and so it had all this, this, uh, you know universe to build upon you mm-hmm. know actually not really build upon but to show where that universe came from right so it had, the origins yeah it had a real you know rich well um to go to to come up for material um i honestly don't think it's better than the original um as far as you know just comparing you know show to show mm-hmm. um i i've watched i don't know probably two or three of the seasons um, and not in any order or anything like that of uh, enterprise. And I've, I don't know. It's just never resonated with me. I've never really enjoyed yeah. it. That being said, you know, Star Trek, I loved it because I, you know, was watching it when I was a kid cause it was in syndication, you know, right. And, Always you know, when I, when I was a kid, you know, there was, there was um, science fiction out there, um, like we talked about last show, but there wasn't a lot of it. You know, nowadays you can't swing a dead cat on TV without <laughs> <Yeah>. finding some <laughs> form of science fiction. In fact, we have the sci-fi channel now, although that's kind of iffy because I think their movies are mostly crap. But, yeah. uh, you know, back then that that was a big deal for me you know i have a show that you know went somewhere else you know went to you know a different you know planet uh, you know somewhere else in the galaxy and i love it for that reason and i and when i look at star trek the original i look at it through that lens mm-hmm. you know of yeah. being a kid and, and loving well, that show yeah nostalgia is a very powerful thing mm-hmm. it really is it really is well and that that kind of dovetails with the difference i see in that um, I think the original Star Trek, my accent keeps coming out, so you said track. Um, <laughs> I was noticing that, but I wasn't going to yeah. say anything. <laughs> no, it's, it's, my, it's my accent. Um, I know it's Star Trek, people, okay? The heart. I, I feel like that the, the passion of the idea, the original series, was there mm-hmm. with Subsequent series, especially with Enterprise, I feel like it was about, I don't know, just money, network, Just doing spin-off. it because they could do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying not, to find, not creating for the sake of creat- creativity. Well, right. just, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and just trying to find the next, next generation, mm-hmm. you know. Hmm. And it's like, you know, we'll just keep rolling the dice. Eventually, six will come up. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, we'll get a critical hit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I think about the other spinoffs of um, the other Star Trek spinoffs of Voyager and um, Deep Space Nine, um, neither of which I have any affection for, um, I feel that way about those shows. I, I feel like Deep Space Nine was really trying hard to build off of Next Generation. Mm um and really spinning off of the characters especially since you know like um um o'brien the the uh, transporter chief goes to that show from next generation and several of the characters were you know established in next generation so i think they that that show to me just kind of screams of that idea of building off it i didn't i don't have that feeling about enterprise um as much i think because it was later it was after the others had sort of had their run. Um, and I don't know. I personally, I really like Archer, Captain Archer, as a character. Um, I think he got a balance between what I loved about Kirk and what I loved about Picard as a character. Um, mm-hmm. He was still action-driven like Kirk was because I felt like Picard was too much of a diplomat. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've heard people refer to the next generation as we came, we saw, we talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and the original series is we came, we saw, we had sex. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as the differences between Kirk and, and Picard. And so I could kind of appreciate them both for what they were and sort of for truly the sort of raw masculinity that, 
you know, William Shatner was sort of portraying with Kirk. Um, but I think Archer managed to merge those two ideas together, where he was well-spoken enough so that he could talk his way out of a conflict, but he also wasn't afraid to take action. And I could kind of sit back and look at that as like a captain who really kind of balanced what I think it should be, what that role really should be. Yeah. So. Well, uh, you you give them all a lot of credit. <laughs> I do, but you know, that's <laughs> so, who I am but, on this show. <laughs> so, and you part, get to be the but, cynic. <laughs> yeah. Part of what uh, kind of prompted having this actually as a segment on the show was uh, someone sent me a list of uh, top 10 reasons why Star Trek Enterprise sucks. And I was like, well, yeah, I could work on that list because I'm really frustrated with the show. I'm frustrated with the ideas and and the the way it's approaching. So I was like, hey, Regina, you want to you want to talk about (laughs) (laughs) and I I didn't put any rules on this list. I said top five reasons why that it it sucks or succeeds. And so, you know, mix or match. Right. Whatever you want to do. So, Regina, why don't you start us off with uh, your number five reason? Um, well, I did. I just did because uh, Captain Archer was a success for me. Okay. So that's that was one of my one of my list. I think that um, I think casting Scott Bakula for the role was a success. Mm, yes. And I actually agree with you. I, I agree with you that he was a good mix, mm-hmm. but they also made too dramatic of a jump. I feel like in changing his character from um, season two to season three, the, he he was an extremely well-disciplined person in the um, basically the Air Force, Space Air Force, mm-hmm. you know, military. Right. Yeah, and he sort of took on this kind of doe-eyed kid attitude when he got out into space which was fine because i was like man that's what i would do yeah exactly (laughs) and then all of a sudden he just got like really angry and just hard you just wanted to back up up from him whenever things just got all of a sudden really serious in season three um but there there are other other reasons mark what about your number five um my number five and it's probably gonna anger regina (laughs) is um i think uh the character of Hoshi Sato or Sato, however you pronounce it, sucks. <laughs> I cannot stand that woman uh, on the show. Oh, her oh. character, she, interesting. Every, yeah. Every chance she got, she was getting scared or breaking down or having a moment so that uh, Captain Archer had to come over and you know coddle her basically and you know yeah. you know work through it with her. And yeah. I'm just like you know, <laughs> I don't even yeah. think they would have done that on. Uh, uh, the next generation. I well, think. they didn't. If it, well, not next generation, but I was thinking more of the original series because if you think her counterpart in the original series would have been Uhura. Yeah, Uhura was a badass. Though. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm <laughs> saying they didn't do yeah. that in the original series. Yeah. yeah. They had. That's actually one of the problems that I have with it. Um, and not that I don't have quite the powerful reaction that you have, Mark. <laughs> I, I didn't hate her. <laughs> I hate her character. I yeah. Just, right. I, 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 yeah. I didn't hate her character. I did hate a lot of the. The, um, trope around yeah. her. The um, she kind of was the damsel yeah. of the bridge. And there shouldn't be a damsel on the bridge. No, there shouldn't no. be at all. And and you know the fact that she was sort of convinced and coerced by Archer to go on the trip in the first place. Um, I think gave her that leverage to go to him constantly with this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm scared of this thing. So I I don't actually disagree with you. I think that that you know that. Feeling, I don't know. What do you think, Rhonda? You think she sort of filled the damsel trope? Oh yeah, that comes up much higher on my list. <laughs> she you definitely know, feels a damsel trope, but I, in in general, the um, the the female aspect of the show is a problem. Yeah, there were. I, I that's actually on my list as well. Yeah, another hit on my list as well for things and that sucked about the show. I just want to stay. I'm 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 okay with a character, either male or female. Um, occasionally having a crisis of some sort where they yeah. do need to talk to somebody that makes sense in a storyline mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, but it just seemed to me like you know, let's you know take the the weepiest, weakest person we can out in outer space where we yeah. have no idea what we might be encountering. And they actually acknowledge that, and well. I think it's in the fourth season. It might have been the last episode where she actually has a conversation with Archer about. Um, you know, oh, I'm you know I'm working through all these fears that I had and all this stuff that I have that's been 
you know, haunting me through the time we've been on the ship. I'm really trying to work on this. So she, they do acknowledge it at some point in time, but I think it's really late in the series that they do. Well, it's way too late because Back all the it. way through the first season, it's like, oh, I'm claustrophobic. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, afraid of heights. I'm afraid of this. It's like, good grief. What, yeah. what are you doing here? Yeah. Well, my um, number five, it's actually my number six, but because I think that my number one is actually on some other people's list, I'm going to skip it. But I think that this is a success and it's also a failure. I think that the um, the makeup on the show was technically excellent mm-hmm. for a TV show. Um, that is obviously going to require a lot of sets, a lot of costumes, a lot of imagination, which basically adds up to a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They did a really, really good job executing the makeup. Now, I don't think it was particularly creative or very inspired because all the aliens apparently have two arms, five fingers, two legs, <laughs> a nose, two eyes, a mouth, and facial prosthetics. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah, I actually made a comment about that somewhere through where it's like, wow, everybody has like forehead ridges. Yep. Everybody. Every Just facial prosthetics. Every race they come across has ridges in their forehead. Yep. Or some I, part of their face. I see what you're 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 both saying there. I I agree with you, but I also feel like this is ha- happening 100 years before the original Star Trek. So right. they do have to keep some sort of continuity between that. Yeah, and I was going to say that Star too. Trek. Yeah, oh, they were true. they were building off the off the um, characters from you know yeah. the alien races from the original series. So they were sort of penned into mm-hmm. their the aesthetic that they had been using in that that show. So well, what about your number four, Regina? Um, I <laughs> constantly had an issue with T'Pol's clothing. Oh my god. It just drove me nuts that she was never in a uniform like everybody else was. It just it bugged me. I loved I loved the uniforms on everybody else. I loved that they were like very utilitarian, you know, very straightforward. I loved the way that they integrated the colors of um, the original series and the next generation in the blue sort of jumpsuits. I thought it was I thought that was really great. That was a nice, again, sort of meshing of everything that had come before. Um, but when she was not an official member of the, um, enterprise crew and she was still working for the high council, you know, so she had a different spacesuit then very clingy spacesuit. Um, but I didn't understand when she did finally become like a member of enterprise, why she didn't get put in a regular uniform. Did she actually become a member of enterprise or did did they just approve her to stay? No, she took in a commission. She took a commission as, as a, um, as a Starfleet officer, um, somewhere. I think Afo was either during the third or fourth season, somewhere in there, she becomes an official member and, but she's still wearing like light blue Lycra, you know, spandex spacesuits. And I was just like, what really, really? Well, and even still, I mean, if you compared her to the other Vulcans, she's the only one. Who shows her boobs at all. Yeah. Hello. (laughs) Hello. I understand that, you know, part of science fiction and part of Star Trek is to make sure you have, you know, sexy, you know, aliens for, you know, fodder for young men who watch the show. Come on. I don't know. I didn't consider her sexy. I found her annoying for the same reason that we mentioned on last week's show, which is she's a Vulcan and she's basically like mom or dad standing on the bridge telling you yeah. what you can't do the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just annoying. Yeah. Her, her, I, I appreciated um, some of the story arcs involving her with the emotions and with her mom and with the um, mind melding being this like thing that was forbidden mm-hmm. because that had never been addressed before. I thought that some of it was really interesting um, building off of the original series and building emotion into a Vulcan character, I thought was really great. I really liked a lot of her character development later in the series um, because she did finally kind of go past that idea of, you know, the disapproving uh, Vulcan emissary who's watching over everything that the humans are doing wrong. So she does move past that. What about you, Mark? What's your number four? Uh, my number four is that uh, I really felt that the integration of the Star Trek universe as a whole into the show seemed like it was solid to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, um, I, felt I like... was looking to criticize that. Like, I was ready to be yeah. in a fight. 
<laughs> and they and they just they just seem to to pull it off. I feel like you know this this really is where this all comes from and where it starts from. Yeah. Um. So you know, I I, yeah. I just think they did a good job on that. I agree. That was my number four. So <laughs> we mirror each other. I th- I I had no idea where the story was set. Mm-hmm. And when it got started, I was like, ooh, I like this idea. How did I miss the show? Mm-hmm. Now, I know how I missed the show, but um, I really enjoyed that development, the growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was real. I thought that yeah. was done well. I thought they did a great job sort of acknowledging the roots of the universe mm-hmm. and where it came from and building toward um, the original series. And they did in the very first episode, they only did it once, but I had always taken issue with Star Trek because never when they're in an, uh, emergency situation, does anything happen to the gravity on the ship, right? (laughs) Never. And I was always like, come on, there's no way that life support systems can go down, but you're not going to lose the gravity that's holding everybody on the deck of the ship. And they did actually in the very first um, the pilot episode they had a scene where Archer was showering and the yeah, gravity scary. goes off and I'm like yes finally somebody did it and they never did it again which kind of made me sad because I'm like oh they should have paid more attention to that um, but at least they acknowledged it once <laughs> yeah well Regina what's your number three um, I like the story arcs I, I really like that um, it had more of a, a dramatic overarching story than any of the Star Treks before before had um the attack on earth that they're dealing with in the third um they're Mm -hmm. trying to prevent in the third season i love that the second season built into that i love i love the overarching stories um and the the um well that's my number two but the time travel line as well i thought was kind of cool um kind of convoluted in how they dealt with it but time travel tends to always get at least a little convoluted as a story um, very chaotic yeah it, it just it just always kind of has this like oh how does that really work and I don't want to think about it too much because I don't want to poke too many holes in it <laughs> um, but I really liked that there were lots of episodes that were three-part episodes especially in mm-hmm. like, I think the third and fourth season like I was like yeah. wow this is fantastic that they kept continuing the stories which is why if Mark you have only watched you haven't watched in order you might be missing some of that kind of arching storylines that are going on in the store in in the see the series itself so yeah i am intrigued after having read what you you know what your list was so i i may have to go back and try and suffer through it (laughs) (laughs) well mark what's your number three then um my number three is going to be really silly because i think it only happened in one episode but the borg (laughs) uh yeah actually i Uh, took issue with that too like what oh yeah no i didn't take issue with it i love the fact that the borg show up i love the fact that um because the Borg are like my favorite boogeyman in the, in the in the Star Trek <laughs> universe. Um, I love the fact that they basically kind of rolled from uh, what movie was it? First Contact into into an episode of Enterprise. And a while back ago, I went back and I watched all the Star Trek um, shows that mm-hmm. actually had Borg, and yeah. I actually did it in the chronological order that it would have happened in the universe. So. Um, I was really happy that they at least had Borg in, in an episode. <laughs> nice. Interesting. You know, because in The Next Generation, you know, Q introduces them to the Borg. So I was kind of like, mm, this is kind of treading very, very much on this. I don't know if you've really crossed the boundaries of the story, the established universe story. Well, it's the whole it's the whole problem with any kind of time travel. I know, because it gives thing. them, yeah, license to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, it... it <laughs> Because in the movie First Contact, they end up following the Borg back to Earth right at the end of, I don't know, I think they show up in the late 20th century or 21st century and, you know, have to stop the Borg there. Well, so yeah, for the first planet. for first contact, yeah, for yeah. the movie. And, yeah. and so the ship that, that the uh, Borg queen arrived in is what they find mm. in, in in i think it was the arctic or antarctic i don't know somewhere really snowy and cold oh, okay. it, it very had it had a uh, a john carpenter's the thing vibe to it yeah I, I noticed that too when they were, they were digging the bodies out of the ice mm-hmm. yeah so um i mean it makes sense in the continuity of the stories but it does not make sense in the continuity of the universe and the timeline <laughs> right yeah so yeah so what about you, Rhonda? What's your number three? Um, 
I I just think there was bad character development. Um, DePaul was a great example. Um, you never liked her for season one and two to me. Her only purpose was to just be there for eye candy and to be contentious. And I think she's a great Personally, I think she's a great example of the bossy female. Yeah. Well, All the guys yeah. were annoyed with her. They, come on, you're raining on our party kind of thing. Yeah. And a whole lot of times what she was saying wasn't wrong. Um, how she was saying it wasn't really great. But it was her only, it was our only purpose. And mm-hmm. I think that was kind of bad to wait so long, two seasons, before they started flushing her yeah. out. They do, uh, yeah, they, they, there was a long, she did go a long stretch with not very much um, development, um, but I think they made up for that. Well, she's not the only one. Malcolm so, was just completely unlikable. Yeah, Malcolm annoyed me all the time, just all the time. And I, I just like, almost was like they sat down and just say, okay, how <clears throat> whiny can we make Malcolm this week? <laughs> and to be the munitions officer, I'm like, golly, you're... <laughs> You are really whiny. And, you know, we talked about Sato, which, again, I, I feel like they just made her too weak. And, and you know, I, I didn't even realize it until I started looking at this, but also the idea that the, the, the crew felt so small and there was such a lack of supporting characters. But, you know, the original Star Trek didn't. They had just those guys. Yeah, there was even smaller number of people. Right, mm-hmm. but it felt bigger, and I don't know why, but this one, it just feels like all the time it's like, you know, that doesn't make sense that the captain always is the one that goes down in these situations, and that the that Malcolm and the captain, and Malcolm and Paul. it was just, I don't know, it just seemed weird. It, it felt small, and I don't know how they could have fixed that. I like that it was a smaller cast. I felt like there was better character development than there had been, even in some of the characters on Next Generation. Um, I think what the original series had that Enterprise might have been lacking and Next Generation might have been lacking as well was a real sense of camaraderie among the actors just in general. Like, I think there was more chemistry, good or bad, because, you know, some of the characters, some of the people in the original series hate each other. You know, some of the actors absolutely mm-hmm. hate each other. But good or bad, that tension, you know, creates more drama in smaller spurts. Like, smaller moments are bigger because of that kind of tension yeah. between people. And and because they were sort of trailblazing, because they were, you know, on the precipice of being canceled all the time, you know, I think that sort of drama seeps into the stories and seeps into the acting. And I don't think that I think that's one of the reasons why Firefly is as good as it is, too, because, yeah, that same See, kind of tension exists there. I think a small cast can work because mm-hmm. it, it, it obviously didn't Star Trek, but um, but for some reason it was it wasn't it was distracting in this one and it mm-hmm. just felt small. And I just don't know why. All right, we're getting down to the wire. What do you got for number two, Regina? Uh, I already said it was the the time oh, yeah. travel, the time travel elements, and um, that was pretty cool. Daniel with the kind of back and mm-hmm. forth, and the way that they were manipulating time, and the way they considered time just in general, I thought was really innovative and very creative storytelling. Yeah. So, and you know, time travel can get really old because it kind of gives you license to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, so I was really delighted that it didn't feel that way. It felt like a time travel story, an arc that really integrated in the story and really had its own sort of power behind yeah. it. So I definitely agree because mm-hmm. time travel is a very hard thing to introduce. It is. Yeah. And they did really well with it. And I, as soon as it started up, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. And then I was like, oh, hey, this is actually kind of cool. This is working. What about you, Mark? Number two? <laughs> Number two, um, again, I think... Uh if not just Regina, but maybe both of you are not going to be very happy with me. Um, I think one of the things that sucks is Scott Bakula and not because he's a bad actor because <laughs> he's not, he's not a bad actor. I, he has this quality and I remember seeing it in quantum leap and I saw it in him um, more recently in Chuck. He kind of has this, I don't know. Uh, I want to say kind of like the absent minded professor quality to him. And, I just can't get past that. I, I always feel like it's there in, in whatever character he's doing. And so in a Star Trek 
world, you know, I just felt like I, I, I didn't feel like he could be the captain. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like an all shucks kind of. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's just kind of, you know, absent minded kind of, you know, I, I feel like he's too sweet. If that makes hmm. sense. I mean, huh. I feel like he's just too nice a person somehow. Hmm. Um, and it's not to say I don't think he's a good actor because I think he is. I just I always get this vibe from him, and in some of his roles it works, and in others it doesn't. Like in his role in Chuck, it worked for me, but in um, Enterprise it doesn't work. You know, mm. I don't know what it is I'm picking up on. It, it may just be part of his um, personality in real life, but um, it just doesn't work for me. Mm. Well, I, I don't t- completely disagree with you but, um, because part of um, I think part of what got old with season one and into season two is like, okay, how many of these aliens and planets are you going to have to go to before you quit getting this doe-eyed look saying, hey, let's go meet them. Hi, I'm the captain. <laughs> let's traveling. go be friends. <laughs> and, I, know, I love that about him. So. I, I just, I wanted him to have a little more common sense eventually. Oh. And also it seemed like he was taking on um, a lot of, I don't know whether they were doing it on purpose. I get the impression that he was being directed this way. Um, taking on some Captain Kirk qualities. I started noticing in late in season two and in season three, he was having a, a very halting speech. Oh, and he oh, had no. more of a swagger too, actually. Like the way that he walked and he started carrying himself was a little yeah. bit more like Kirk as well. Yes. Oh, and I was just like, oh, please, come on. Yeah, I noticed that. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> don't pull a, notes. Yeah, don't pull a um oh god, who was it that had to play Obi-Wan Kenobi in the original in the new Star Star Wars? Ewan McGregor. Yes, it, he trying to do Alec McGuinness. Oh. Just don't. You know, it's, it it was that. There was that. Yeah. There was some of that that went on. And it wasn't in the beginning like you could see kind of a definitive line at the at the beginning where he's like I'm not this character. And then he did start to sort of integrate some of his, some of Kirk's behaviors. Well, and early in season one, too, it just seemed like at every opportunity they got Scott Bakula to take his shirt off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened a lot. uh, That's a whole Captain Kirk thing. (laughs) At least it looked better. (laughs) Hey, it's it's only fair. The ladies should get some eye candy, too. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's often enough that, that, well, you know, I already said Topol's uh, spacesuits, you know, mm-hmm. and Velour. What was it with Velour? Vulcans and Velour. Like, none of the other Vulcans ever wore, you know, pink and peach and baby blue Velour. Solid what? white. Ah, uh, the underwear that we she know, was constantly wearing. She's skinny. Wearing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We got it. Thank you. <laughs> Well, my number two was um, was kind of on a line of the the doe-eyed captain, but just in general, it, it seemed like the maturity level at which they let their characters operate. But um, you know, we we mentioned um, Sato's kind of whiny. The captain is just a little too. Hey, I've got a new spaceship. Let's go take go for a spin. But particularly what really got smarmy is like in uh, season one, there was the episode where they finally got to go on shore leave and Malcolm and Tripp were in the bar. Oh yeah. And hitting on the, my God, they were like two high school boys. (laughs) And I was like, this is disgusting. I know, but then they get taken. They get, you know, they get totally taken and the aliens end up, you know, uh, robbing them. Right. Tying them up and leaving them in a basement. They could have still done that if they, I mean, because I, I completely accept the fact that this is the first time they're in outer space. They don't know anything. Yeah. And they're sailors on shore leave. Right. But I just thought it was too much. Anyway. Uh, that's you guys are laughing. You enjoyed it. <laughs> Okay, what's your number one, Regina? Um, I loved a lot of the depth of certain characters. I, I, <laughs> I know, I know. I think it's ironic that you're like, oh, I hate the character development and everybody sucks. <laughs> and I'm like, I thought there was great depth of character. So there oh, you go. So funny. <laughs> Why can't you so, just which get is, along? 
which character did you you like cap the captain the best uh actually i like trip the best trip and captain archer i think are my two favorites from the show but um and i said early on watching the show i i said to chris i'm like i will stop watching the show if trip dies oh and um you haven't gotten to the end of season four so i'm not gonna say anything (laughs) damn it regina you just did (laughs) i'm not gonna say anything okay have I ever told you guys the story about my brother when he went to see the second Star Star Wars movie? Oh, didn't he tell you Darth Vader he, was Luke's he dad? He comes home and he's a, I was like, don't say anything. He goes, oh, I'm just going to tell you two things. Han Solo dies and Darth Vader's Luke's father. I just <laughs> killed him. <laughs> and did he run away laughing after he said that to yes. you? Yes. <laughs> my dad did too. My dad was laughing like crazy. Well, it sounds like you don't really like him, so I didn't think you would be all worked up about that. About who, Trip? Uh-huh. <laughs> I know, I just don't like spoilers. <laughs> okay, Mark, what's your number one? My number one is the theme song. <laughs> Fails epically. I- oh, God, it's so bad. It's so bad. Well, it's not just, it's not just this show. Um, it was the same thing with Firefly. I don't know what it is, but my sci-fi does not have contemporary sounding music in it. <laughs> I want orchestrated music or, you know. Yeah, you something. want it to be like the original series. Well, it isn't even that it has to be like the original mm-hmm. series sounding. No. I but just it, don't want twangy. It has to have the grandeur that, yeah. that those, yeah, exactly. that those like, if you think of Star Wars and you think of mm-hmm. the music of Star Trek and, you know, original series and Next Generation, they have a, a level of grandeur. And exactly. that intro of Enterprise just fails on every count. Yeah, and that's also the same thing with Firefly. I mean, mm-hmm. I've since gotten to the point where I like the Firefly theme as a right. song by itself, but that's why I didn't watch Firefly for the longest time was because of the theme. And same thing with Enterprise. And, <laughs> you know, it's just some things don't go together. <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah. Well, I mean, the theme is like a ballad. It is. Mm-hmm. It's and just, it's just, it's horrible. I mean, it actually, you sit there and you watch the opener and then the song starts and you're like, whoa, did someone change the channel? <laughs> <laughs> no, then you're just wishing somebody had changed the channel. Please don't Ooh. let this be the song for this. <laughs> it's It sounds like the uh, opening for the Waltons in space or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. No. It is pretty bad. Yeah. What was your number one, Rhonda? Um, sexism. Yeah. 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 The, um, I'm trying to remember now what, which episode this is I'm talking about in season two. In season two, one of the, um, one episode that, that bugged me and I actually went back to watch it again to see whether or not what I was seeing was correct. But, um, first flight where Archer and DePaul have gone out and he's telling her the story of the, the, um, his mentor who's died. Oh, right. The guy who died. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, the scenes, I'm just watching, but the scenes are going by and, and toward the end, I'm like, wait a minute, were there, were there any women in Starfleet Academy? I did. I don't remember seeing women in his flashbacks. I was like, that Hmm. doesn't make any sense. So I went back and watched it. And there are women in the scenes. None of them have speaking roles, and most of them you don't see their face. Hmm. But all the men—they're all men. There are plenty. There, there are men in the um, Starfleet Academy that have speaking roles. They show their face, and they are also speaking to other Starfleet Academy people. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the women that uh, there's two that are just working a computer during the um, flight test. Mm-hmm. But when they're in the bar, they're always talking to a civilian. And there is a woman in the opening bar scene where all the all the guys are there, but they only show her in passing, and she's off the screen to the to the left. Mm. Don't ever see her face. I was like, "How oh, that's seriously?" And the ba- <laughs> oh, the bounty one—that's the one that I figured I felt like was a low point for. And you liked it, I think, Regina. I th- it was a low point to me for DePaul. Because I feel like that they were, they've been working up the entire show to have some sex scene with DePaul. Yeah. Where she lost it. Everybody's waiting, you know, keeping her in the skimpy outfit. Everybody's having dreams about her. And finally, she 
get some wild, crazy infection that makes her horny, and oh. she's stuck in a room with a doctor. Yeah. And so they just have her slithering all over the place in this room. And I just thought, what okay. made you think I liked that episode? <laughs> um, because you said something about uh, her, them bringing out her emotions. Yeah, but I mean more about the arc with um, with the baby. Okay. And her relationship with Trip. Yeah. Where she I, start, yeah. And the mind meld where she starts having to deal with her emotions and she okay. kind of gets forced on her. I don't, I didn't mean that. Oh, no, it was that, just a disgusting episode. That episode hey. was so entirely just to show off her midriff. You know, you guys are being very heartless here. You know, <laughs> space horny is a very serious condition. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- there were th- there are two things here. Okay, <laughs> number one, it reminded me of a, a vaginal fantasy novel I read, a bodice ripper. Where at the very beginning of it, uh, the 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 damsel in distress is unfortunately given a drug that makes her insanely horny, and the only thing that the noble male can do is have sex with her to relieve her pain. <laughs> okay, so it reminded me immediately of that. She's ha- she's begging this guy, please relieve my anxiety. And the the other thing was to me the the, the like I was talking about with the original Star Trek. The, the passion and the, the original idea that Bradbury had and the constant preaching. Uh, that, Roddenberry. Thank Rod, you. Roddenberry. I've had a bad day. Um, <laughs> I'm concentrating on saying Trek correctly. <laughs> so then, of course, I pronounced his name wrong. Um, oh, gosh. I lost my place. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, about this whole future uh, u- utopia. Mm-hmm. Where sex doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, we're all equal. And then they put on a show like Enterprise that is absolutely nothing but sex, sex, sex all the time. They're rubbing each other down in the decamination chamber. I'm not even drinking. And they're running around in their underwear all the time. And Baculus taking his jacket off all the time. And I'm like, you're using sex to sell this show that is about equality. This The idea of diversity and equality and it's just uh just made it well, smart me. to be fair um, oh my god no i'm i i i you know i agree actually that there was a lot of sort of gratuitous uh flesh in enterprise and uh, i don't have a problem with flesh it's just the way they right, used it right know. Well, that's okay. why I said gratuitous or it, it, <laughs> it wasn't really story driven. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> However, what I was going to say was that's actually, that was actually part of, you know, what they were doing in the original series as well. The, the mini skirts yeah. and the, and I mean, how often did Captain Kirk have his shirt off? You know, it, yeah. it's kind of, it's, it's part of Leviter. Party in space. It is. It is. It's part of space. Cowboys is, is that sort of thing. And um and and so I I don't think it's it's completely out of character for a Star Trek show to have that element. It's not, but at the same time, though, they're they're preaching at us. I mean, we mentioned already mentioned their their political aspects of their storylines. Yeah, yeah. So I find that annoying. Anyway, that was a good mix of ideas. <laughs> it really was, man. We were all over the place. That was awesome. I, I, I really like that much, much better. Um, well, you, you guys need to let us know whether we, we angered you or, or thrilled you or were, you were glad that somebody finally said that out loud. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually had a whole conversation with a listener because I had tweeted about when I had finished the series. Um, so I talked to Carlo about it, uh, Carlo Moran, who I know we've exchanged some emails with Rhonda. Yes. So he had some pretty, pretty powerful Hi, opinions about things too. So. Um, you'd let us know what you think about Star Trek Enterprise, what, whether you agree or disagree with us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to Game on Girl. You can find all our social media connections on our website, gameongirl.com. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter and Steam. Hey, guys, guess what's coming up? Do you know? What? No, no. Do you know? Do you know? International Tabletop Day is April 5th. Yay! So do you guys have plans? I didn't, but I will now. Okay, you better go get some. (laughs) Jeez, this has been gaming day.
I, I game I, every weekend. So. Yeah, I, I generally do too, but um, but I usually make a special effort for Tabletop Day. I'm going to be at Cloudcap Games in um, Portland, Oregon, and Isabella is actually going to join me. We're going to go down and, oh, cool. uh, and be there representing for Game on Girl. Uh, so if anybody's in the Portland area, uh, please come by and say hi. Uh, Cloudcap is my favorite local game store, um, and it should be yours too. Uh, so if you are anywhere in the international world um you can find events near you on the tabletop in the international tabletop day website which is tabletop tabletopday.com wow i'm not the only one no you're not <laughs> it's contagious apparently <laughs> so if you're looking to meet new gamers or to find a new game store or uh you can register your own events even if you're just going to be hanging out in um, your living room gaming with your friends uh make sure to go and register your events with um the tabletopday.com and they have some some things i think they send you or some some access you get when you do register an event so definitely go check that out and get out and support your local game store or meet new gamers, make new friends, you know, do all the things that we love about tabletop gaming. Thanks, Mark, for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on again. And on the show. We always appreciate having you. I love being here. Oh, that's good. We're glad you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very thankful. <laughs> Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on. She's back. <laughs>